You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the latest NPR News headlines, we'll have the California Report from KQED Public Radio, followed by a roundup of regional weather and news. Then, Felton Pruitt interviews Marnie Marshall about happenings in downtown Grass Valley. Claudio Mendonca reports on the six-month anniversary of the Jones Fire. And Al Stoller has a preview of Thursday's landing of the Perseverance rover on Mars. Here are the latest headlines from National Public Radio. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The deadly winter storms that left a large swath of the state of Texas shivering and in the dark is a worst-case scenario for many utility companies, and one that in the Lone Star State is leading to plenty of finger-pointing. Initially, Texas Governor Greg Abbott tried to blame the problems on renewable energy, solar and wind power, though we ultimately had to acknowledge pretty much every energy source was to blame. Every source of power the state of Texas has access to uh, has been compromised because of the ultra-cold temperature or uh, because of equipment failures. And those failures have left millions still without power, with yet another storm on the way, offering a snapshot of just how not prepared many states and local jurisdictions are to deal with the kind of extreme weather patterns brought on by climate change. Texas ordered 7 million people to boil tap water with record lows bursting pipes. Nearly three dozen senators are demanding answers from the Postmaster General about ongoing delays in mail service. NPR's Winger Johnston reports Louis DeJoy is facing renewed criticism from Democrats about a series of operational changes he implemented at the agency that have compromised deliveries. In a letter to DeJoy, senators included a list of complaints from their constituents, including missed paychecks and court notices, delayed prescriptions, and lost credit card payments, which have resulted in late fees. Lawmakers are also questioning whether his current decisions are continuing to hinder deliveries. Congressional Democrats have repeatedly criticized DeJoy, accusing him of conspiring with former President Donald Trump to deliberately undermine mail-in voting ahead of the election. A number of Democrats are now putting the pressure on President Biden to fire the Postmaster General. Biden does not have the authority to remove him, but he could appoint a Democratic Majority Postal Service board that could oust a joy. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. Conservative talk radio host Rush Limbaugh has died. He was 70 years old. NPR News' Luana Wise reports on the tributes paid by fellow Republicans. Limbaugh's brand of unapologetic, politically incorrect speech gained him a loyal following, including among high-power politicians. Former President Trump praised Limbaugh as a legend and a friend. Kaylee McEnany, the former White House press secretary, said Limbaugh had a, quote, unrelenting boldness to proclaim the truth. The conservative provocateur was instrumental in creating the modern era of right-wing programming that has become a defining force in the Republican Party. Fox News was a product of Limbaugh's legacy. Former Vice President Mike Pence, also a former radio host, wrote on Twitter that Limbaugh's legacy would, quote, live on for generations. Alana Wise, NPR News, Washington. On Wall Street, the Dow was up 90 points. This is NPR. 
The European Court of Human Rights has issued a ruling demanding Russia immediately release jailed Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny, arguing the activist's life is in danger. From Moscow, Charles Maines has more. As a member of the European Human Rights Court, Russia is in theory bound by the judge's decision to release Navalny. Yet Moscow has clashed repeatedly with the tribunal in recent years, even amending Russian law last summer to give its courts precedent on constitutional issues. On Wednesday, Russia's justice ministry rejected the European order as unfulfillable and a political decision aimed at violating Russia's sovereignty. Navalny was sentenced to nearly three years in prison shortly after his return to Russia last month from Germany, where he had been recovering from a near-fatal poisoning attack. Navalny insists Russian security services were behind the incident, charges the Kremlin denies. For NPR News, I'm Charles Maines in Moscow. The U.S. says it's moving to expand DNA mapping of coronavirus samples in an effort to stay ahead of mutated versions of the virus, which are starting to crop up in various parts of the world, including the U.S. Today, the White House announcing a ramped-up effort by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and by the U.S. Army Biodefense Institute to stay ahead of the virus changes. The CDC says it wants to triple the number of tests it's now doing, bringing them to around 25,000 a week, where the more significant action hinges on the administration's proposed relief package, which will provide $1.75 billion for mapping virus genes. Crude oil futures prices rose $1.09 a barrel today to end the session at 61.14 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. COVID-19 numbers continue to decline across California, and Governor Gavin Newsom is optimistic that some parts of the state will be able to lift business restrictions as early as next week. About 3.5 percent of people being tested for coronavirus are getting back positive results, a sharp drop from numbers we saw during the most recent surge. The number of people in hospitals and intensive care units has also been steadily declining. A handful of rural counties in Northern California have already moved to a less restrictive tier when it comes to reopening, and state data shows at least five others are headed in that direction. Well, yesterday, California opened two new mass vaccination sites with help from the federal government, part of a goal to open 100 sites in 100 days nationwide. KQED's Leslie McClurk explains. Parking lots on the Cal State University campus in Los Angeles and the Oakland Alameda Coliseum are now filled with trailers and tents. Both sites have the capacity to vaccinate up to 6,000 people per day through both drive through and walk-up appointments. However, Governor Gavin Newsom said only about half that many doses are on tap. Supplies the issue. That's the constraint. Two of the state's other large vac sites, Moscone Center and Dodger Stadium, had to temporarily close recently when supply dwindled. Yet the governor says it still makes sense to expand infrastructure. He wants the state to be ready when the spigot of supply starts flowing. The state has administered about 6 million vaccines so far. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClurg. The Sonoma County Sheriff's commitment to enforcing public health orders is under scrutiny after public records revealed that the department has issued no citations for violations of public health orders since last summer. Kevin Fixler with the Santa Rosa Press Democrat has been reporting on a church in violation of county health orders and the discrepancy between a sheriff's deputy's report and code enforcement records. So you have two county agencies supposed to be partnered 
on this enforcement and in communication about warnings and potential violations, and it seemed clear that they, they were not. This has now led to an internal affairs investigation of this deputy because, again, his narrative was much different. He claimed that it was just up to 15 people who were all outdoors and abiding by COVID-19 compliance guidelines, whereas the Code Enforcement Department documented well over 100 people, many without masks, um, singing, things that uh, even a recent Supreme Court ruling doesn't permit. Is this a, a systemic problem? Or is this an isolated incident? Uh, there are questions that are, are still out there and, and probably deserve some answers. That was Kevin Fixler of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. He says that the Sonoma County Board of Supervisors has already removed the bulk of enforcement duties from Sheriff Mark Essex's department. Support for the California report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Millions of Texans remain without power as rolling blackouts continue amid a massive winter storm there. It's a situation Californians know well. In August, our state grid operator called for the state's first rolling blackouts in two decades. For more on the parallels, I'm joined by former CPUC President Loretta Lynch and reliability expert Rick Humphreys. So given what's going on in Texas right now and what happened to us here in California last summer, what are we learning about the state of our nation's electric grid? I mean, are we ready for, for example, climate change, which seems to be playing a real role here? Lily, I would say this is not about climate change. If it were, all the other states would be having the problems that Texas has. What this is about is the fact that both Texas and California turned their electricity grids over to private corporations and allow them to run those grids. And those grid operators have run them amok. They have allowed the companies that profit from those grids to put profits over people. So when you take a look at the comparison, California and Texas went the farthest to deregulate their electricity systems. And now we're paying the price because we were penny wise in Texas and now they're pound foolish because they did not invest in maintenance and operations, just as California has allowed maintenance and operations to fall by the wayside. And speaking of price, Rick, you have spent weeks trying to calculate the costs of our rolling blackouts in August here in California. It's been hard to get those numbers from CalISO, the independent state operator of the grid. Um, but you have calculated it. How much worse is it going to be in Texas? Well, for California, we can we can get part of the answer uh, fairly easily, and that's from the day ahead market. And so using just that portion of the cost, I calculated that the roughly three weeks of late August and first week of September, uh, ratepayers in California paid an excess cost of about $1.35 billion. By comparison, the entire year's worth of electricity in 2019 was about $8.8 billion. And those are both at wholesale. Now, by comparison, we can look at what's going on in Texas and just a simple calculation uh, shows that the poor folks in Texas are going to be paying uh, tens of billions of dollars. 
And there is a lot of blame being placed on renewables, including wind resources. And Loretta, we saw a really similar narrative play out here in California last summer, right? Yes, but let's be real clear. This is about private corporations who operate Texas and California's grids allowing the power plant operators not to maintain their power plants. So we know that today windmills are working in Minnesota and in Wisconsin and in Norway, and they're not working in Texas because the grid operator did not make them put heaters near the mechanical parts that would allow them to turn. So Mm -hmm. windmills froze in Texas because they lacked heating elements because the Texas grid operator has allowed minimal investment for maximum short-term gain. All right, Rick Humphreys and Loretta Lynch, thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you, Lily. Thank you, Lily. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Here is the regional weather forecast. In the Nevada City Grass Valley area, mostly clear tonight with lows in the high 30s. Partly cloudy Thursday with a high of 52 degrees and a low of 44, with showers possibly moving into the area Thursday night. Tonight in Truckee, mostly clear with an overnight low of 14 degrees. Mostly cloudy skies are expected in Truckee Thursday with a high of 43 degrees and a low of 29. Truckee could see some snow showers developing Friday evening. In Sacramento, mainly clear skies tonight with overnight lows in the mid-30s. Thursday in Sacramento, partly cloudy skies in the morning, becoming cloudier in the afternoon. Sacramento expects a high Thursday of 63 degrees and a low in the high 40s. The Grass Valley Planning Commission on Tuesday voted unanimously to approve a Wendy's fast food restaurant in the Brunswick Basin, replacing what is now Paulette's Country Kitchen. As reported in the Union newspaper, the project at 875 Sutton Way will join at least half a dozen other fast food chain restaurants in what the Union calls Grass Valley's Burger Basin. Despite the approval, planning commissioners expressed concern over potential traffic issues in the area, Because the building's use is not changing, a traffic study was not required. While the commission found the project met all requirements, it expressed interest in examining city policy on additional drive-through restaurants. Community Development Director Tom Last said since the city last addressed the issue in 2007, no additional drive-through chains have been added to the area, and some have closed. The Union newspaper reported today that Nevada County will remain in the purple or widespread tier of the state's reopening blueprint for at least another two weeks. According to state data, the county's COVID-19 case rate and positivity rate fell again this past week, but not enough to lower its tier assessment, which has been purple or widespread for the past three months. For the week ending February 6th, Nevada County averaged 14 new cases per day and a 5.7% positivity rate, down from a case rate of 16.1 and 6.5% positivity the previous week. The county needs to get down to fewer than 7 new cases per day and no more than 8% positivity to reach the red tier, which would allow restaurants, movie theaters, gyms, and other businesses to reopen indoors with limited capacity. 
For the past four weeks, the county's positivity rate has been within the red tier, between 5% and 8%, but case numbers must also meet the criteria for the county to move up to a less restrictive tier. Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman warned that gatherings over the past two weekends for Super Bowl Sunday and Valentine's Day could derail the county's progress. According to public health officials, social gatherings and workplace exposure continue to be the main driver of transmission. Freed Center for Independent Living has canceled a PPE distribution planned for Grass Valley Thursday due to the success of a similar event on Tuesday. Freed noted on its Facebook page that the giveaway had a much larger response than expected. All 250 emergency supply bags were given away in the first few hours. Freed continues to offer items such as masks, gloves, face shields, protective gowns, goggles, and hand sanitizer for pickup at its office if previously arranged by phone. The Nevada County Economic Resource Council has announced that it has a new executive director, Gil Matthew. Matthew will take the leadership role from the current interim executive director, Tim Corkins. Corkins has been in that position for three years. Matthew has a long career in business and sales. He has previously been associated with the ERC as its CEO and as a contract manager. At noon today, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office released to the public a video including dash cam footage of the February 4th deputy-involved shooting in Alta Sierra. Ariella Crawford, age 33, was shot during the incident and later died in the hospital. The shooting is being investigated by the Nevada County District Attorney's Office. The 17-minute, 19-second video depicts extremely graphic and violent content. It compiles 911 and dispatch calls, sheriff's deputies' dash cam videos, and other explanatory material. The video is potentially extremely upsetting and is not suitable viewing for children or sensitive adults. It is posted on the Sheriff Department's YouTube channel. The video shows the victim, who is accompanied by her two small children, holding a knife and screaming at deputies, one of whom attempted to deploy a taser. Crawford is shown charging one of the deputies, after which the other deputy fires several shots at her. According to the Sheriff's Department statement, as the video and audio illustrates, efforts to de-escalate the situation were not successful. The Union newspaper posted a still photo from the video on its website and said it would review the video and remove any portions deemed too graphic. Nevada County Sheriff Shannon Moon states in the video that she was making the footage public in the interest of being as open with the community as possible. The DA's investigation of the shooting is ongoing. It's time for the Grass Valley Downtown Association report with Marnie Marshall. Marnie, let's find out what's going on in Grass Valley. Hi there. Well, we've got a month-long campaign that's been going on in February. We'll just remind everybody to keep checking in on it, even though Valentine's Day is over. Grass Valley and Nevada City are sharing this Share the Love campaign over the 28 days of February. So it includes just nice things you can do, like plant a tree, Send a card to a local frontline worker thanking them. Pick up trash in your neighborhood. Pay it forward. Nice things like that. And 
You can see that entire list at downtowngrassvalley.com, or you can visit the Nevada City Chamber of Commerce website and see it there as well. So, yeah, we think it's been fairly effective. You know, I've had people say that even though they didn't share it on social media with the hashtag, share the love Nevada County, that they did come down and enjoy their downtowns and spend time with their kids and family, and they did do good deeds. So it is nice to hear that. Just a feel-good campaign. Now, how's our businesses doing? Businesses are doing all right. I mean, it is always a little slower in January and February, typically in a normal year. So that is happening. But, you know, overall, people are still coming down, especially on the weekends. And we've had a pretty good run of good weather. We had some rain, some snow. But, yeah, the good weather brings people out. They want to come spend time outdoors. Feel fortunate that people are still patronizing our local businesses. And we love that people are still shopping local. And we're going to keep encouraging that with an event that is easy to remember to come down to downtown Grass Valley on second Saturdays. So we had our first one, Valentine's Weekend, and our next second Saturday will be March 13th. So basically all day between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m., we're inviting people to come down and we'll have a social media event about all the details. It will be on our website. And there'll be artists doing demonstrations outside. If the weather's nice, there'll be sidewalk sales. And some people will offer special events in their store, and people can dine outside. And just an easy day to remember to come downtown and see what's new. Second Saturdays will get rolling at 10 a.m. and should continue through 10 p.m., just depending on what you want to experience downtown, whether that's breakfast, or mimosas, or a glass of wine and dinner. But the middle of the day, between you know 10 and 4, will be full of sunshine and some outdoor activities. What else do you want the folks to know about Grass Valley at this time? I would just say stay tuned. We have our annual calendar of events, and we're always trying to figure out how to keep people coming downtown to visit our merchants and shop local, and then find out how we can modify the events that we've been doing. So I would say just stay tuned to our website, downtowngrassvalley.com, and especially our social media, and that is on Facebook at Historic Grass Valley, and on Instagram at Downtown Grass Valley Associates. And you can call us in the office anytime and ask us questions at 530-272-8315. Thanks for all the information, Marnie. We've been talking with Marnie Marshall from the Grass Valley Downtown Association. Everybody go to and shop local. Thank you. Six months ago, in the early hours of August 17th, a lightning strike started a wildfire that we now call the Jones Fire. The fire burned 12 days, and before it was finally put out, 705 acres burned and 21 structures were lost. Long after the ashes have cooled, however, the cleanup work continues. This morning I had the opportunity to visit a burn site still currently being remediated. When I arrived, workers in hard hats, respirators, and protective suits were busy removing large debris. A representative from the California Office of Emergency Services 
explained that debris from a burn site is removed in several separate streams. First, all the metal is gathered and sent to be recycled. Then, ash and burned debris is hauled to a lined landfill for disposal. Concrete, which is often compromised in the intense heat of a fire, is also hauled away. Finally, the first three to six inches of soil, which is often contaminated with lead and arsenic from the burned structures, is scraped and hauled away. Later, the remaining soil will be tested, and if all is well, the site will be turned over to the owner for rebuilding. All of this work is funded by FEMA, the state of California, and the county. If you'd like more information about these remediation projects, visit wildfirerecovery.caloes.ca.gov. For KVMR News, I'm Claudio Mendoza. The planet Mars holds many mysteries. A robot detective will land on the red planet Thursday. What will it find? Al Stoller gives us a clue. Just as people play catch, so do planets like Earth and Mars. The Earth and Mars play catch with rocks. Every now and then, a humongous meteor smashes into Mars. The collision sends rocks flying high into the air and sends a few rocks out into space. Once in a blue moon, Earth catches one of those Mars rocks. A Mars rock crashes to Earth as a Martian meteorite. By luck of the draw, we've been able to find a couple dozen such Mars rocks to study. But we can learn a lot more by sending a geologist to Mars. So we turned the game around. Last July, we launched a robot geologist into space toward Mars. Tomorrow, it's going to be Mars's turn to catch. Throwing something across the solar system, you've got to throw hard. To get that robot geologist, a six-wheeled rover named Perseverance, to get Perseverance to Mars meant launching it outward at some 25,000 miles an hour. 25,000 miles an hour is too fast for Earth's gravity to pull it back. 25,000 miles an hour is Earth's velocity of escape. The Perseverance rover escaped from Earth last July. Perseverance, Percy, will hit the outer atmosphere of Mars just before 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Both to escape from Earth and to cover hundreds of millions of miles, Percy had to be trucking. Now, about to reach Mars, to get down onto Mars in one piece, that puppy's got to shed every bit of its momentum. It's got to slow itself down to zero. Water is not hard. Water is soft and squishy, unless you do a belly flop. A belly flop stings because the water doesn't squish out of the way. Quite the opposite. The water under a belly flop feels almost solid. Get going fast enough, and air can also feel almost solid. Screaming into the Martian atmosphere tomorrow, the spacecraft will orient itself to more or less belly flop. The air beneath this craft will not squish out of the way. The air beneath the craft will be squeezed so hard it will glow red hot. As our robot geologist shoots through the Martian sky, it becomes a meteor, a shooting star. Belly flopping into the Martian atmosphere slows the spacecraft, but does not slow it down enough to land. So Perseverance, 
unfurls a parachute made of Kevlar, the fabric and bulletproof vests. Ballooning out at a thousand miles an hour, parachute slams on the brakes. If Mars had a thick atmosphere, like Earth, the parachute could slow the craft all the way down to the ground. But Martian air is way too thin for that. While still a mile up, falling 200 miles an hour, the rover lets go of the parachute and begins what's probably the most delicate part of the landing. A sky crane is a rocket-powered winch. Four rocket engines slow the sky crane's descent down to one mile an hour, at which point the sky crane gently lowers the robot geologist the last few feet down to the ground. Compared to other planets, Mars has proved challenging to get to. There's a motto, Mars is hard. You prepare, you visualize what could possibly go wrong, and you expect to be surprised. I've spoken with people doing Mars missions, and I've been down to the Jet Propulsion Lab for a landing, so I know that tomorrow afternoon, more than one engineer, physicist, mathematician, planetary geologist will be wearing his or her lucky hat, lucky shirt, lucky underwear. If all goes well and luck holds, we'll know that the robot geologist Perseverance is on the ground on Mars tomorrow afternoon at five minutes to one. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. You've been listening to the KVMR Evening News on KVMR-FM in Nevada City. Coming up next at 6.30, an all-new edition of The Sages Among Us. Host Taylor Wolf interviews Rebecca Torpy, Marketing Manager for the Briar Patch Food Co-op. At 7 p.m., Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs at 6 p.m. every Monday through Friday. If you'd like your voice heard on the newscast, think about submitting a commentary to news at kvmr.org. Commentary guidelines can be found at kvmr.org under the news section.